Hey everybody, I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Dan Pleiss. And this is Unconditional Love. A podcast about personal responsibility. Like I said, I'm Amber. I'm a 59-year-old woman living in Denver, Colorado. I have three adult children, one still at home with special needs. And I'm the primary caretaker for my mother with dementia. Um, and life is good. <laughs> I'm Dan Pleiss, and I'm a 55-year-old gay man living in Chicago with his long-term partner and my wonderful pandemic pod family at the moment. Uh, and uh, my life is also very good. Hmm. And this week's episode uh, is called Being Loving During a Crisis. Um, and I... Um, I struggled with the name of of the episode this time because um, uh, I was just trying to make it loving blah 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 blah, but I didn't want to say loving a crisis. Um, although I suppose one could, and we all define crisis in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, Dan, uh, my uh, in my family we've been going or we've been going through a bit of a health crisis with with um, my male son, Steele, um, who's had some, they think, um, COVID-related blood clots in his lungs and damage to his heart. And um, anyway, I, because of the, the worry and the um, stress of, which comes from loving someone, right? When somebody's going through some uh, a really difficult situation, um, I started thinking about all the times in my life where I've been in crisis, whether it's been going through a divorce or going through, you know, financial fears or whatever it is. And I um, I recognize a feeling that happens in my body when I worry about things um, and how unhealthy it is because my, I feel my body feels sick right um, and I started thinking about how now I have I have a lot of tools in place that help me um, in situations like this um, but it's um, they're conscious tools right they're consciousness tools um, so that I so that I personally don't get sucked in to um, making the situation worse than it already is. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it is a lot of uh, some of them. Some of these tools are a lot of the things that we've already we've talked about a lot during these podcasts, like meditation and exercise and taking care of your body, you know, nutritionally. And um, but it's also a it's a a shift in consciousness that 
I think, or at least for me, allows me to be present and to be supportive um, and to continue to do the work that I'm supposed to be doing, but also um, to, um, to relax and allow, uh, you know, other people to go through their journey and to, and for me to go through my journey, but to do those things with love, which Mm -hmm. is harder than it sounds sometimes. Well, I don't think that there's anything about the situation with steel that, um, it's hard for you to feel love about, um, mm. or at least in terms of for him. Yeah. You may not don't love his situation, but um, everything is that you feel and think about it is from a place of love. But how do you feel loving? I mean, I, I mean. Yeah. I, I don't. It because it, it's the the more you care, the harder it is to get to that that sort of higher place about it right or you just are able to allow it things to flow and things to be and to flow with the stream and and be okay with and see the larger picture that you know in in the bigger scheme of things it doesn't matter Um, yeah and you can know that intellectually but how do you how do you feel that when it's happening to someone that you care about so much how do you get yourself to a place to where to be at peace with the situation no matter what and i it's an area that um i'm not as familiar with uh i'm so fortunate that you know it's, I mean, it's funny to say that both of my parents have died, but no one I really care about has ever really died, or certainly not since I was a kid, mm-hmm. since I've been an adult, or even really been, I mean, or even been really sick. Like, I'm so lucky that way. I mean, it's not that I don't really care about Steel, but I don't know Steel super well, you know, as much as I think he's an amazing person. Yeah. But... Uh, but I do know what it's like to, you know, be freaking out about something and trying so hard to get myself to a place where I feel good about it. And there's days when no matter you know, you get up, you try to meditate and it doesn't work. And then you, no matter what, you just, I mean, it, you feel crappy, your body feels crappy and your mind won't behave. And yeah. Um, and what tools do you have to try to deal with that? And for me, I try to just the thing that helps me the most, I think, lately is is letting it be okay that it's a shitty day. Yeah. And, hmm. I like that. And not making it shittier by being upset about the fact that it's a shitty day. Like it's just and and just kind of re- lean just relax and and let it be that way and don't if you keep thinking about it about the fact that it's shitty or the fact that you fucked up or the fact that you you know that things aren't the way you want them to be then it just makes it worse and so it's okay for it to not be good (laughs) i don't know if that makes any sense but that's that's what's really not not to compound the problem by 
being upset with yourself for not being this and a super Zen master about every single thing that happens to you. Yeah. Um, I would, I'm trying to see what I wrote for this. Uh, um, well, I was I, one of the things that stayed in my mind and I, I wrote this too was um, one was that meme that we posted last week from by Joseph Campbell that looking if you can look at every situation as no matter what it is as something you need mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whatever that's for teaching you a lesson or learning acceptance or learning to let go or mm-hmm. um learning to be quiet whatever those things are um it's a shift and how you look at something that allows you, mm-hmm. uh, that allows grace to come in, mm-hmm. you know? Well, it's like uh, to look at it as an opportunity instead of as a crisis. Yeah, an opportunity for growth, especially, mm-hmm. yeah. And what I wrote was that I, I, I do feel like I, um, I definitely have a lifelong habit of, um, of going of freaking out when something is wrong, like if I'm having financial troubles or something like my relationship, that I immediately uh, I go to a place of feeling like something is wrong, and then I and I should feel bad about it. And so it's sort of the same. Uh, so like like what, to you know play on what you're saying to instead of saying oh, I'm having Chad and I aren't getting along and being in a really bad place about it to just say, oh, well, you know, it's an opportunity to to learn how to not to, you know, it's an opportunity to grow instead of instead of being upset and pissed off, you know, and, and I've been really good about that lately of just realizing that if we're not getting along, that the only thing that I control is the only, the only part of it I can control is myself. And so to realize, to try to just focus on what it is that I'm doing that's making it wrong and how can I change how I feel about our relationship so that, and it, it, it's always astonishing to me the way, as soon as I shift my feelings about it, we immediately mm-hmm. start getting along better. But, you know, that's different with illness or like, I was listening to a, a, a conversation this morning with Abraham Hicks, as a guy was talking about his knee not being. I was trying to listen to things about t- them talking about crisis, and um, this guy was talking about his knee being sore. And you know, their advice is what it always is, which is change the subject. Um, well, if you but, pick out a wound, right? Yeah. Mm. But how do you change the subject of your son being, you know? very ill yeah um although part of that advice is is good i mean there's no way to not think about it and not be conscious of it um but it's not holding like i find myself you know during the day if i start to think about it i i immediately don't feel good you know Mm -hmm. i or I immediately, my, my mind starts to think about, you know, you know, 
all the terrible, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? And, mm-hmm. and then when if I jump down that r- rabbit hole, it's like I, I can't. Um, I can't. Well, I can crawl out of it. It's just but it's not it's not helpful. It's not helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not helpful to the consciousness and my connection to him for me to, you know, mm-hmm. um, be living in fear of that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, I guess the trick is to, I mean, from my point of view, the trick is to think about it as just something that's happening rather than something that's good or bad. Yeah. But it's so hard when it's so personal. But yeah, I mean, you're not, uh, the thing I find comforting that I feel like I've come to understand is that there's nothing that you can do to change what's going to happen to him. That's his journey and his yeah. life. And so, oh my God, that's so true. But how do you, so, you know, when you talk to him, if you can just be in a loving place. Yeah, which then, I'm really working on. Oh. Then that is going to be so much more healing for him than if you're talking to him out of worry and doubt and anxiety. Yeah. And that's, you know, probably the best thing that you can do for him is when you're talking to him is to, to be okay, (laughs) even though it's very hard. Yeah. That's what I would want. I mean, I think about, you know, uh, I've heard, Abraham Hicks talks, talks several times about, you know, if you're visiting someone ill in the hospital or something, instead of saying, oh, my gosh, it's so terrible or it's so awful to walk in and sit down and say, hey, how's it going? How are you? You know, what's going on? Good hmm. to see you. Yeah, yeah. And to not, you know, to give them a higher level of energy to bounce off of rather than wallowing down somewhere or even dragging them down to a place that they might well, not have even been before. Well, you don't want to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, too, not to go, you know, morbid or anything, but when I think about the friends of mine who who have died um, and, you know, I've one goes through one's grieving process for your, for friends and family members. Um, but then your relationship with them continues mm-hmm. or at least it has for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I haven't stopped, I haven't stopped loving the friends of mine who've died or, or my dad or, or who, whoever it is. Um, and I still feel the connection with them, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, no matter what the loss is in your life, the loving doesn't end. Mm-hmm. And the feeling doesn't end. It mm-hmm. just it just changes, you know? Yeah. I love that saying, if when someone dies, don't look for them where they used to be. Look for them where they are now. Um, because oh, I like you- that. So if you look at the plate, the physical place that they used to be, then they're not going to be there and you're going to feel bad. But if you allow yourself to, to see and feel where they are now, then you can have that connection. 
I <clears throat> have to say through all the mindfulness work that I've been doing the last several years that I am in a much more, I, I feel like I have a much better connection and understanding and loving appreciation of my parents than I ever had when they were alive or certainly not as an adult. Like when, when it was very strained um, mm-hmm. in diff- like it, for, it, with each of them in different ways. And now I feel, you know, continually I have a different moments. I'll have some little revelation about one or the other of them and a, and a, and a renewed sense of appreciation and, and a sense of love that I didn't have for them when they were adults and they were so annoying <laughs> when they were alive. <laughs> <laughs> but like, for instance, with, with my dad, and, and we don't need to talk about death, but that, uh, um, forever. I, I think I, I resented. Did I, t- did I tell this story already? Like I, I, re- I resented. I did tell this story. What? That he was so well, about college that he just he didn't want to. He. I saw these other families that were going in debt and sending their kids to expensive private schools, and and I and my dad just absolutely refused to do that he wanted to make sure that he, he kept saying the biggest his biggest goal for us coming out of college was that no one was in debt including him hmm. and i thought well my you know my girlfriend mary's father is putting a second mortgage on their house how come you won't even like stretch yourself a little bit but it dawned on me just not too long ago that um that probably was really hard in its own way for him to stick to his guns when his peers were probably oh, yeah, were yeah. all saying, oh, like I'm sending my kid to this school, I'm sending my kid to that school, and I had to take out a second mortgage on my house, but that's the most important thing is them getting a good education. And he held firm to his beliefs for what he thought was best for us as, his, as our father. Mm-hmm. And that probably was its own struggle and he held firm to it and, and you don't have to agree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but from my point of view now, I really, I appreciate that he, you know, really, he held to that. And I, I, I can imagine that it probably, there probably was a lot of pressure and I can even imagine knowing my mother that might've been a lot of pressure from her to, uh, to say, you know, you know, spare no expense, like, you know, kids should go to the, cause she, you know, she wanted, I'm sure that she would have loved to be able to say, well, my daughter goes to MIT. Yeah. Um, so it, cause it would have looked good for her to have a daughter going to MIT, but he stuck to his guns about it. And I don't know, it's just something, the little things like that, that I have, that my perspective has changed on them. And I held, uh, I resented that for so many years and I thought, you know what, I bet you that wasn't so easy for him. I love the sense of um, the shift into appreciation mm-hmm. of that story, you know, and how mm-hmm. much that would lighten, like, your load, mm-hmm. you know. And everything did work out. 
and I am in a great place and it's, you know, it, it couldn't have been any other way or I wouldn't be who I am. So, yeah. um, and that's what it leads to like one of the, um, things I did want to say that I, I wrote and, um, you were saying you were writing about, you know, for this rundown, stepping back and allowing bad things to happen. And that's one of the things that I've really been working on the last couple of years is letting people have their experience and not yeah. trying to protect them from it. And that, and to realize that it's actually arrogant to try to protect somebody, stop, prevent bad things from happening to somebody because they need to have their own experience. And, you know, like I was thinking, you know, again, with my parents, you know, I did say this last time that they kind of, they kicked us out at a early age and, and if they had like <clears throat> just supported me and let me linger in the, <clears throat> in the house until I, I was 30 to try to see whether or not <clears throat> I could make it in the world. I would have had to, I wouldn't have been, I would have been 30 before I started trying to support myself. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, not necessarily, but I'm just saying like, was that, is that necessarily the life that I wanted where I was held back 10 years from having to deal with learning how to live my life because someone was protecting me from it? And was that really, would that really have been a service to me? And yeah, basically it's like, allowing someone else to have to have their struggles and to just bear witness to it is actually an act of love mm -hmm. as opposed to um trying to control the situation which we know no one can do <laughs> and thinking that you somehow know better what their yes. experience should yeah. be yeah for yeah. them which coming back to you know, what this podcast is all about is, is about unconditional love. And that is, you know, a big part of unconditional love is allowing things to be, you know. Yeah. Well, I was felt telling our friend Pam last night, I was talking to her, I think I, I admire the way you haven't, you haven't able to, I mean, from my point of view and talking to you to, for the most part, allow Steele to have his own experience and to stay in a loving place and to focus on what it is that he needs and to not, you know, assert yourself onto him in ways that you don't think that he needs or appreciates or wants. And I think that as a mother, that that I'm sure is incredibly hard to do. Um, so I just... Uh, I, I cry a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but I cry a lot anyway, so. But you're so careful about when, you know, when you interact with him that you try so hard for it to be about him and not to be about you. And I, and I think that a lot of people, including possibly your other son, <laughs> in, in when he would talk to Steele probably has a lot, put, puts a lot of energy into thinking about what it means for him. Makes me want to cry too. <laughs> <sighs> it's just trying to stay on holy ground, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
you know, it's sort of the it, like you said, tying it back to unconditional love with the um, it's times like, you know, when I'm really upset, I find it like, like I said before, I find it hard to meditate and I, I'm having a bad day and um, but it still helps me relax even trying and mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes, you know, I mean, I'm doing a lot better with the fact that I can be in a that I'm not in a peaceful state of mind and that I'll try again tomorrow. And for now it's okay that I'm just upset and, and not be upset that I'm upset <laughs> and then upset <laughs> that I'm upset that I'm upset. Surrender Dorothy, right? <laughs> yeah. This is good. Mm. It is. It's very, it was a very intense one, but I think it was really good. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for writing it up. Um, I originally thought that I wanted our next one to be about sleep, but I'm not sure about that. I, I, um, I don't know if I need to talk about that or not. Maybe it'll just make my issues with sleep worse. <laughs> but, <laughs> but probably, we should, it's, we it's, should bring Pam on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth exploring, though. Yeah. Um, uh, Especially because, because so much work is done while you're sleeping, too. Yeah. That we're not even aware of, you know. And I've been sleeping so much better lately. Um, I mean, really for better than in years. Um, and it. And it still surprises me because I still expect to not sleep well. And I wake up and I'm like, wow, I slept well again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> usually it's like one night out of seven. But I guess that's another podcast. So yeah. I guess we will oh. talk about it next time. Apparently I have a lot to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's funny. Hey, well, I keep checking the um, our email address. Well, not like every day or anything. And yeah. I'm, I'm exaggerating. But I have started checking it. Um, and so one day when there's an email from somebody, um, we can talk about it. We can talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As Amber someone writes Dan, in. Yes. What is it? Amberdanlove at Amber gmail.com. Amberdanlove at gmail. Yes. So, yeah, if someone write, I was going to say, if someone writes in with a suggested topic, we should promise to do it. But then if we do, it'll be like something really lame and stupid. And we'll be like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so, we shouldn't uh-huh. promise. <laughs> someone oh God, will be like, funny. someone will be like oh yeah let's see what they can see if you can talk lovingly about this yeah how about you talk about oreo cookies yeah and we're like what yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right this all right. was great um yeah. i'm so grateful yeah thank you all right i love you have a great right. day Two, bye, bye.